the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care, with a higher level of care, with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Online, too, at CountryRoadsTireOnline.com. Here are your hosts of the 2022 and 2023 WVBA Talk Show of the Year. Jordan Nice Warner and Marcia Kavalik. It is Friday the 25th, and you are tuned into Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, and broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Alongside me is Marcia Kavalik. Good morning, Marcia. Good morning, Jordan. How are you doing? Doing all right. Like I was telling our first guests that are in studio before we came on the air, that uh, everybody's complaining about how hot it's supposed to be outside today, even though it's only a high 91, which to me, I don't think is that hot. But You'd never know it in this studio because no, it's wouldn't. frigid in here today. You my wouldn't. goodness. I'm going to have a full jacket on if I wanted to. I am. Um, you know, my, my studio is fixed now, so I can wear <laughs> right. short sleeves. And That's right. And I roll over here and it's frigid again. And you see your breath. Yeah. Which I'm cool with. But You're as cool long with. As, yeah. <laughs> as, long as, that, as long as that flips to the other uh, extreme extreme in the wintertime, yeah. I'm okay with that. I don't think it will. okay with that. It doesn't but, work out uh, here. But yeah, it's a big Friday, Marsha. Of course, uh, we got f- high school football kicking off around the state today, especially here in the Panhandle. If you missed any of our conversations about that, if you're a little bit late to Panhandle Sports Live, you can listen back to it a little bit later on to our on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But we'll get to all that and our first guest, Marsha, in studio. So happy that they could join us in studio. Um, and she's been here before, but Tony Weisberg is with us. She's the founder and president of Faith Feeding Freedom. Her guest, the organization secretary, Marty Kiesecker, joins us as well. Welcome in, both of you. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. And um, so I I reached out to you because I had just a bunch of questions, uh, Tony, because uh, we covered one of the recent city council meetings, and uh, it was revealed there that they were starting to make changes in who they allowed to be downtown, providing services to some of the homeless. Uh, There had been some complaints around some of the property owners or businesses uh, about uh, some of the folks receiving services, not always respecting the the property that, and, and some of the council members expressed that you know they were concerned about how folks would be, um, you know how would, how folks visiting might feel um, in in a situation where they they see folks who are kind of down on their luck, they might not feel safe. And I'm kind of paraphrasing all of that, not trying to put words in anyone's mouth, but um, it came to fruition because there was a there was a, a renewal that was not renewed for a group that wanted to uh, feed the homeless every Thursday in the in the public square. So I reached out to you and I said, okay, so I know you guys feed the homeless in, or, you know, around the library, central Martinsburg. Uh, how's this going to affect you? So good morning. Good morning. Um, it's going to change a lot of things. And the homeless isn't who we feed mostly. It's the, we have about 80% of the seniors coming from Senior Towers and King's Daughters Court that have no one. They have no family. And in the five years, we've become their family. They look forward to having us. They come and they speak with us. 
We give them food, we give them clothing, we give them their hygiene products. We also received a grant from East West Virginia Community Foundation to purchase the items they couldn't get on their EBT cards, such as their hygiene products, washing, mm-hmm. and the, the paper products. So we supply those to those members as well. And it's just, if if we have to move, well... We do have to move. We do have to. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't afford the ordinance that's been in, put in place. Um, it's going to be $500 a week for me to hmm. get a p- permit, which will cost us $26,000 for the year that we've not been paying any anything. Mm-hmm. And Truist Bank loves us. We have no problem with the people. We've been down for five years. We've never stopped serving we served three times a week for two years during COVID, where Marty, I, and Angie, for two days, we prepared the food, and we hit the streets. And then on Friday, we set up our normal feeding, so we never stopped. Well, it seems like, I mean, you've been down there for five years, and you've had such a good rapport with the businesses and different people down there, so uh, I kind of feel like a therapist asking you this, but how does it make you feel, I mean, hearing all these things and seeing all this start to kind of percolate around the news? It really, um, for me, I wish that some someone from the city council in the five years we've been down there would come and see what we do, you know. And it's we're down for, we set up, it takes about 20 minutes. We feed for maybe 45 minutes. So it's an hour and a half at the most a week, and that's it. And we clean, we have never, ever left trash. And I make that announcement, and then we all peruse the whole, I mean, go through the whole area to clean up. So that's something we don't do. It, it disappoints me in that decisions are made and maybe they don't understand the ramifications. Um, a comment I think was made that they can go someplace else, which is about four or five blocks away. If you're in a wheelchair, if you suffer from, uh, you know, immobility, yeah, that's a hard uh, thing to take. It's disappointing that we weren't approached with an alternative other than a brick wall did they did they actually come to your organization and say you're gonna have to stop this at january 1st no i got um the metro news came out and all of a sudden i got phone calls from the senior tower social worker um saying what's going on and i said i don't know and i went to city hall three times to try to talk to someone and didn't get to see anyone on well, last Wednesday. So, you know, I guess we're, we're not sure if this is, is this a broad-ranging ordinance that's going to affect anyone who wants to uh, feed the homeless or those who are down in their luck in the in the city. Uh, but you, you got a number, $500? Yes. So where, where did that number come from? The city council. So they said in order for your organization to continue. Yes. So it is going to affect you, yes. definitely. Oh, yeah, it's... We can't afford that, so what we're going to do, and I'm going to ask everyone today in the downtown area, if you have a place for us to move to, um, we'd be so appreciative that, you know, because there's a lot of private property downtown. So that would solve some of those issues if you were able to, to serve out of a, a building? Well, no, I don't think we have to serve public. out of a building. A it could be a parking area. lot. Yeah. Parking, church parking lot, something church like that. Church parking yeah. lot, the Elks parking lot. Presbyterian Church is all right there. That's private property, so I'm gonna. I'm, I'm asking them now to, to really think about it. Um, it. It's God's work, 
he called me to do it, and I took a step of faith, and that's how faith, feeding freedom came to be. I took a step of faith to feed anyone that needed it, and then the freedom is to release them from whatever's holding them. And the seniors are being just devastated, especially now with the cost of everything going up. They can't afford anything, and I'm one of them, so I know. I know the struggles. I had to get a job, mm. so I'm working now at 69 years old. Yeah. Well, well, what? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We see um, towards the end of the month, we see an increase in visitation to our site because of, I guess, the elderly's checks are quite lasting till the end of the month. And so what we're trying to do is supplement uh, their food budget, basically. Well, and this really comes as a at an inopportune time because I mean, right now the weather's fine, right? But once we get into the winter time and things, when people, I'm sure your uh, numbers really start to pump up at that point. I mean, that's when people need you the most, and that's mm-hmm. when this five hundred dollars will really start to be hitting you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're we're good until the end of the year. Yes, but then oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and we if, have to even if we had a benefactor that would say, "I want you to, we'll give you twenty six thousand. I wouldn't want to see twenty six thousand dollars spent on a fee when it could be used much." more productive. So bring us up to date right now as it stands, because the ordinance is going to be uh, enacted in January. I understand. Uh, How many times are you feeding? And again, how many folks are you servicing every week? We feed every Friday at 1130 and we feed 75 to 100 people. There's probably about 30 people waiting for when I pull up. And um, it's going to impact. There's going to be a lot of hungry people downtown martinsburg we treat um these groups of folks i think and and i'm guilty of it too we say oh the the homeless you know the downtrodden um it's just such a wide collection of people some of whom are only getting their their meal for the first time on a given day yes and we only have maybe three to five homeless people that we serve the rest of them are residents of martinsburg and the elderly Mm -hmm. and they've been born and raised there they know no other place is there any way that you could petition the city and say, look, we've got this track record. Uh, we clean up afterwards. We're not we're not part of the problem. I, I asked the, for an appeal to see what I needed to do to appeal the decision. And they said I can't do it until the, the first of the year. When the ordinance is actually enacted. Yes. And that means that you potentially could miss a number of weeks feeding people. Yes, that's correct. Unless hmm. you, you there's an outlay of cash, $500 each time you want to do it. Plus, presumably you have to um, go before the city council and, and get the, the well, permission to get, continue anyway. Gina Long is the one that I would go to. I've gone to her for years to get the permits to be able to serve. And then we have special events each year. We just had our back-to-school backpack program. We gave out 100 filled backpacks. We had 30 totes of clean clothes for all the children. We had coats. We had eight totes of shoes. We had cotton candy and um, popcorn provided by Trinity United Methodist Church. We have a lot of churches downtown that are involved with us. It sounds as though this is one of those lack of communication yeah. things. I, I know people who work for the city that would, would be appalled to think that mm-hmm. you know there was going to be this ordinance that was going to keep you guys from doing service. But I can also appreciate that if they have this ordinance, they don't want to pick and choose who gets to right. get a, a cutout. Mm-hmm. Right? It seems like a lot of this potential misunderstanding could potentially be cleared up if they just came down and saw what most of it was all about. Yes. And we have doctors now that come to us and serve our 
to clients mm. and they write them prescriptions. They take care of them. We also have nurses from um, Shepherd University that come. So, I mean, we don't just do the one thing. If anyone from the city, city council is listening and they want to um, pop in, clarify, uh, text us and say, hey, the ordinance is this. It's you. You know, if there's some sort of misunderstanding, we would love to know. We want to tell the complete story. But right now it feels as though this is uh, not good news for Faith Feeding Freedom uh, or organizations like you. Have you right. heard from other groups that, because I know you're not alone. There are other groups that come to Martinsburg and, and serve. Well, someone told me yesterday, because I, w- I went to Williamsport last night to do a food bank. And um, one of the ladies said the church it was serving on Tuesday had to be moved to the Truist Bank. So they, they are moving to a private building? No, they're they're. Just They're moving, moving across, where, the street, yeah. across the street where we serve now. Yeah. We serve at the Truist Bank, and we have no complaints from the Truist Bank. Hmm. Well, I know that when when they had the city council meeting, they were talking about a group that wanted to serve in the public square, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe that's your your carve out. That, I think that's the other group that. Mm-hmm. And it, it just um, I just think that there should be a good uh, workable alternative, and. I understand, though, because I worked in business until I retired. I understand that you want to see a, a clean city, a city with no imperfections, a city that has no homeless, no poor, but that's not reality. And that's not reality at all. Well, hopefully we can start the conversation, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, and that's what right. we want. And it's one of those things, too. I mean, you know, people want growth and all the population increase and things around the area. And you want, you know, this small town to turn back into a pretty big town or even a city at that point or big city. But with that comes, you know, situations like this and, you know, different opportunities for folks like y'all to work. And if it makes it a little bit harder, then, well, those problems can get a little bit worse, if you will. But before we let you go, let people know uh, where they can go to find out everything about Faith Feeding Freedom and uh, how to get in touch with y'all and all that. We have a Facebook page, um, Faith Feeding Freedom. We also have a website, faithfeedingfreedom.org. You can call me at 681-242-2600 or come meet us down at the feeding on Fridays. Perfect. Well, thank you all for stopping in. And if you missed any of our conversation, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. We'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Here are your hosts, Jordan Warner and Marsha Kabalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchival Building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me is Marsha Kavalik. And uh, Marsha, it may feel, well, today it's supposed to be hot, so it still feels like it's summer outside, but it may be starting to feel like fall. But that doesn't mean over in Jefferson County with the Parks and Rec that they're not still in full swing. So joining us on the phone is our next guest. Jennifer Myers, the director of the Jefferson County Parks and Rec, joins us. Welcome in. Good morning. How are you guys? We're good. So, how are you doing? I I'm good. We um we've had a very busy summer, so we have um kind of enjoyed this little bit of a break with all the kids back in school this week here in Jefferson County, and you know now we're preparing for the fall. Well, give us a little bit of a recap of all you've had going on over there this summer. I know you've had concerts and camps. So, uh, what's been some of the highlights? 
Yeah, we did. So we just uh, last week, last week, we ended our 12 week run of free concerts in the park um, every Thursday night for the past 12 weeks. We have, um, you know, had free music thanks to the Levitt Foundation and the grant we received from them. Um, so that's been a lot of fun to kind of enjoy, enjoy being outside um, on Thursdays here with the amphitheater. Um, and then, you know, we ran camps all summer long. So that first week of June when kids were out of school, um, you know, we've had close to 4,000 kids um, out here, you know, most of the summer with us enjoying, you know, day camps and sport camps and, you know, arts and crafts and um, all kinds of fun stuff. And I, we just had a story in our news prep this morning about a national study or an international study about how uh, kids, especially girls who are sedentary uh, in their, you know, young adult or teen years uh, are at more risk for a specific kind of heart disease. Getting them out to camp in the summer, getting them active, getting them moving certainly can go a long way towards keeping them healthy. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I know I see that with my, you know, my kids, I have, you know, 10 and 13 year old and, um, you know, getting them off of those devices and, and you know, out to do to do things makes a huge difference. Um, and I think in attitudes too, you know, with kids, it, it helps mentally too to be outside and, and be in the sunshine and, um, you know, be able to hang with, hang with people and make new friends. Um, so and I think that's a really cool aspect that, that we see here you know, at the park, um, you know, kids come to week that come to school or, you know, come to camp after that first week of school, you know, the kids in these camps are from all over the county. So, you know, there's a lot of that, hey, it's my camp friends, you know, or my concert friends, which is really, really cool to kind of see, you know, how these kids gravitate to each other. And, you know, they've got their whole little, whole little group at the end of the summer and, you know, they leave and the last day of camp and it's like, you know, see you next year. <laughs> really fun. Well, we've talked about the, yeah, absolutely, and we've talked about what all you've done this summer, and we want to ask you some questions about the Moulton Family Park uh, expansion and things like that. But before we get to that, what do you have going on this fall and into the school year? I'm sure you're still keeping pretty busy. We are. We've um, we've spent this week kind of cleaning up after the summer, so um, we've got a lot of maintenance projects happening here, um, kind of inside at the community center, um, and we've got some pretty. Um, you know, pretty pretty good list of programs that are going to start here. Um, I think usually that right, right after Labor Day, a lot of stuff will start. So, you know, we're kind of back into our regular sessions of programming where we've got, you know, gymnastics classes, dance classes. Um, we've got soccer, volleyball, basketball. Hmm. Um, we've got some new um, painting classes and art classes that are going to start up this fall. And we're also doing a lot with for the homeschool um homeschool kids this fall so we have a lot of programs uh, that are going to be happening for them and starting here soon um you know plus we've got a team dance coming up so um something for the middle school to do as well um you know and you know then we kind of get outside we've got some pretty big construction projects that'll be happening um in the parks this fall so we have construction that's going to start on phase two of the amphitheater which i think we've we've talked about before but we're going to be adding restroom facilities down there um, and we're expected to start moving dirt here um, probably September, October on that project. Um, we also have a new inclusive program, playground that's going to be going in the fall as well. So um, a lot of fun, fun projects um, outdoors that people are going to start to see. Where will that inclusive playground be? Um, so it'll be at San Michael's Park um, and kind of near the amphitheater. So we're hoping it's an opportunity for kids to 
have a place to kind of go play um, while their parents are listening to music and kids can run around and, um, you know, give them something else to do as well. Well, uh, of course, we uh, have been keeping an eye on some of the ongoings with Jefferson County Parks and Recreation over the last couple of months. And I'm looking here uh, at a picture with a bunch of people around the Moulton Park sign. So talk to us about this Moulton Park. It looks like it's a great new addition to the uh, Jefferson County community. It is. So it has been a three-year project. Um, so we're, we're very, very happy that that's kind of come to an end at this point. Um, but we worked with the Moulton family as well as the Chesapeake Conservancy and West Virginia Land Trust um, to get some grant funding. Um, and we were able to, um, you know, purchase a piece of property from the Moulton family um, to expand, you know, what is the current Moulton Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a about a 83-acre parcel. So the Moulton Park altogether now will be about a 90-acre park um, right down along the Shenandoah River. Um, which is, you know, a, a tremendous part. asset we have here. So um, um, the Moulton family, I'm sure, didn't didn't charge you market value. Correct. <laughs> yeah. We, um, <laughs> so it was, I think they, they call it like a bargain sale, um, but they donated a portion of the land, um, you know, to to make it feasible where we would be able to, um, to purchase, you know, the remaining portion of the property. Um, to be able to have it, you know, as a conservation for the community. When you get um, this to the point that your vision is, what what amenities do you see at Moulton Park? So we will be doing a master plan for the park um, that we expect to kick off probably here this fall. Um, and that will determine a lot of what we have there in the future. But, um, you know, a lot of ideas have, have been tossed out. You know, I think that we're going to have more camping um, near the park. Uh, parking, which is a big um, a big necessity down along the Shenandoah River, um, will happen. We will hopefully be putting in a disc golf course. There'll be lots of you know hiking trails for people to get out and walk um, on the property. You know, maybe some nature a nature playground. Um, you know, there's there is an old house on the property that we would love to make into maybe a nature center um, mm. at some point. So um, there's a lot of potential. It's a beautiful piece of land. Um, and we can't wait to kind of get people out there to be able to see, um, you know, t- start taking those walks and, and see the property. Well, like you said, it's a 86 acres, almost 90 acre property. That's got to be the biggest uh, park in Jefferson County, right? Um, so it's actually going to be the third biggest park. Oh, in the county. goodness. Well, so how's that work yeah. out? Okay. What's the, yeah. what are the top two then? Uh, so San Michaels um, is the biggest, at about 132 acres. Wow. And then Height Park is about 120. Oh, and then goodness. Moulton will be 90. And there's one not far behind Moulton um, that's about 85. So Mol- Moulton's um, got so the Shenandoah, though. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's got the river that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is a beautiful piece of property. And I know one thing that a lot of people in the county want is access to be able to, you know, use the river. So we're really hoping to be able to expand that access to them with with um with this property yeah we're speaking with jennifer myers jefferson county parks and recreation before we let you go let people know where they can go to find out uh, about camps and different events and all things surrounding the jefferson county parks and recreation yeah so our social media is the best place to really keep up with you know we update that daily with what we've got going on um uh, our facebook page jefferson county parks and rec and then um, our website so jcprc.org um can find anything you need there as well Awesome. Well, Jennifer, it's always great talking to you, and I hope you get a little bit of a break now, like you said, now if the kids are back at school. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thank you guys too. And that's Jennifer Myers from Jefferson County Parks and Recreation. They're always doing so much. And I had no idea, Marsha. I knew Sam Michaels Park was big. I knew Hype Park was big. But I did not realize they were 120-plus acre parks. crazy? I love the fact that the newest park, Molten, is, you know, a lot of it fronts the Shenandoah. And, look at and it. if you do anything on the water, it's just great to have that frontage. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at the Jefferson County WV.org page. And uh, under Molten Park, uh, let's see. Oh no, that's a, that's an out of date. It's from a year ago. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. So where is that exactly? Um, let's see what it says. Um, on the shores of the Shenandoah, just north of the Bloomery Bridge, this half mile river frontage—it's half mile now—features yeah. uh, camping and other recreational opportunities. The Bloomery Bridge. I have to look that up. I'm not quite sure where that is. I don't think. Oh, okay. It's a. Uh, 716 Millville Road, according to the according to the map that's I you know, I don't know that you can depend on these, but you're a oh, map we'll look guy. it up. We'll look it see up if here. You see it. Say we'll look it up here after the break. I think I got it here. Okay. But, but uh, look at all that river. I know that looks right so cool. That'd be so neat over there. But thanks to Jennifer for uh calling in and giving us all the uh, details on things happening around the Jefferson County Parks and Recreation Department. If you missed any of our conversation, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Pain Handle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But coming up after the break. Well, it's the man, the myth, the legend, local author and historian Bob O'Connor joining the show on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kabalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto. I'm broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Icewarner. Alongside me is Marsha Kavalik. If you missed any of the show, you can always listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But joining us in studio, we'll have to talk all kinds of local history, but most importantly, or more specifically, talk a little horse racing history from around the Eastern Panhandle. Local author and historian, Bob O'Connor. Sir, good morning. Hi there. How's everybody? Good. I'm How are you? I'm distracted because he handed me a book to look at. That's a big so. book. A big old book with a bunch of pictures. So Marsha's cool. locked in over there. But uh, Bob, lots, lots of pictures. Well, before we get to the books you brought in and talk about uh, some of the history around the West Virginia Breeders Classic, well, how you been this summer? You been staying busy? I'm good. That was a fun event there in, inside the huddle that I saw you at. That's right. It was good to see you out there. I knew you were going to be there, but it was still exciting to see you walking down that that big well, old hill. It was good to see Andrew too, because he used to be here. Mm-hmm. That's right. In, Did, uh, in your chair. That's right. That's right. What are you trying to start, Bob? No, concerned. <laughs> he, he's no. a former grad of. Uh, he is. WPM. We, we loved having him here, and it's neat to see you know right alumni. And, and unfortunately, we had to leave before uh, Tony Caridi got he, going in his was, uh, talk. He was, Did he, he say anything inspirational? Yeah, he was good. He's always good. Yeah. Well, cool. So it's he, a, apparently he's a veteran. He is a yes, vet. He of those is. Things. He can certainly talk about West Virginia sports. Yeah. Well, among West Virginia sports hyper-local, happening today, and this sneaked up on me, and I should have, because I, I should have listened uh, or read the, the press release, and I would have put the date in, but uh, the uh, Breeders' Classic, right? The the um, West now, Virginia Breeders' Classic, right? Yeah, but that's not tonight. So it tonight is the Charlestown Classic. Right. 
Okay, what's the difference? Well, they're they're two different races. the The West Virginia Breeders Classic is is for uh, West Virginia bred horses only. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is the distinguishing feature. They're both huge races. They both have, you know, big audiences and big betting and lots of money and all of that. So the Charlestown Classic is happening it's today. Tonight. But yeah. uh you're but in my but my book comes out today and I will have it for the first time at the races tonight. Gotcha. Okay. okay where all, so of course, show, show it for the audience. Yeah, I'm showing it for everybody here in the studio. Of course, uh, they can get it from you at the race, but where right. else can they get it? Well, so far, that's the only place they okay. can get it. Exclusive. Is, is, is tonight, and, and we only have limited edition. So it's called the History of the West Virginia Breeders Classics, 1987 to present. And it was it commissioned by the president of the West Virginia Breeders Classics, Carol Holden? Or was it like a you know an idea that a lot of you had? Well, I had approached them at the 25th anniversary, um, and they weren't ready to do a history at that time, but uh, recently they were, so we got together. I had worked with Carol and Sam Huff, the originators of the race, um, for years at the Convention and Visitors Bureau in Jefferson County. Um, we worked cooperatively with them to help them televise the race and get grant money to do that and so I would go down to Middleburg and meet with them and got to know them and uh, Sam is a hoot Sam was a hoot um, just a great guy a great football player but he was a great guy too um, and, and they had a radio show with the, us for, yeah, for they a number did. of years they did in fact I told Carol I listened to it I had no interest in horse racing but I but I listened to it on Saturday morning and it was really interesting she was the horse racing um, person she knew she, she had connected with a lot of people she had all kinds of guests on there that were really interesting mm-hmm. and I listened to it a lot uh, which is really odd because I have no connection to horse racing I know nothing about horse racing I learned a lot obviously from writing the book writing, on, writing on the book a particular and, race. And, and and so um, so it's been really interesting to me uh, particularly because like my books for instance I cannot copyright the title hmm. so there can be 15 books with the same title but you can't have a thoroughbred racing horse that's ever had the same name as any other thoroughbred racing horse in the history of thoroughbred racing that that makes so that's some why, very interesting yeah, so, names so there's some names in there that are just so bizarre right, and, so, and they're all they're like five words run together right mm-hmm. yeah um, i'm seeing some like the first winner was at least that i'm seeing here back in 93 coin collector Pretty oh, good yeah. one. You got uh, Take Aim, Cool oh, yeah. Mars, Confucius oh, yeah. Says. Oh, yeah. The Confucius Fun's Say, Just Begun. Speed Whiz. Oh, yeah. Another Oreo. I'm, I'm down Huevo, for that. Egg. Somebody calling their horse Egg. Smile, Samantha. They're going Ghostly to, Thunder. I see. I just saw that whenever you said that. Raggedy Andy. Lucy's Bob Boy. Pagan Cat. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty uh, Charitable annuity. Pretty we, could, we could just get lost in this. Charitable oh, yeah. annuity. Yeah, that you won it in 2015. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty and, funny. Um, and also, I learned that um, that the horses have a tattoo in their li- un- under their lip, which has a number, which they check before the race, so really? they, so you don't switch horses on them. Hmm. And so I'm wondering, 
how the horse sits still for that tattoo. I yeah. Well, that takes a special skill set. Well, this is a Bob. This is a pretty big race, right? The West Virginia Breeders oh, Classic. I mean, you got a big purse. You got a lot of people coming out to try and win this race. But what makes I don't know if you can answer this question per se, but what is it about this area? What is it about you know Charlestown? Why did why is it that this seems like such a hotbed? for thoroughbred racing, especially across the state of West Virginia, because you don't really see it anywhere else. Well, it, it, it always has been a hotbed. And I read recently that 11% of the people that live in Jefferson County are in some way affiliated with horse racing. I would believe that because they're growing the, the right, hay, right. they're training, they're boarding. Uh, some of them are riding. So just because it's just rolling well, and farmland around here, and, type of thing? and and it's the trickle down effect. You need you need employees to do all this. Yeah, you know, I I just read that Jeff Ronco, one of the the top owners and trainers, has sixty five employees at his farm. Wow. Well, you don't think of a farm as having sixty five employees. That's a big farm. Yeah, and they have over a hundred horses. So, uh, yeah, it's huge. And and what's interesting is I found. People that you have no idea are affiliated with horse racing have horses that are bred in West Virginia and run in the West Virginia Breeders Classic. How about Bill Parcells, for, yeah. for, for instance? Oh, well. How about Burt Bacharach, for instance? You don't think of these guys as no. people that have horses, but not, not only do they have horses, they have West Virginia horses, and they have horses that ran in the West Virginia Breeders Classic. So, hmm. We ever had a West This is a kind of, well, it's not off topic, but somewhat of a random question. That again, you might not have the answer to. Have we ever had a horse from West Virginia like place well in the Kentucky Derby, the, any of the big races, anything like that, that you know of? I can look that up myself. I, I have, guess. But. I do not know, but I, I know that um, the recent horse that that was um, a Triple Crown favorite called Big Brown was had some kind of connection to a trainer or something at, right. at Charlestown. So huh. I do know that, but I don't know. I do know that one of the winners of the Kentucky Derby, a jockey named Wink Winkfield, was affiliated with Charlestown later in his uh, horse racing career. He actually trained jockeys at Charlestown. Huh. He won the Kentucky Derby two times. I think it was 1901, 1902. This may be the largest book that I've ever seen. Big book. Um, yeah, it, that you've if done, you put it's that got, on your coffee table, your coffee table will never move even in an earthquake. Okay. <laughs> but it, what I like about it is, and of course, you know, you're historians who so are all about, you know, the, the words and the history, but it has so many pictures. It does. The it has a picture. Of all, the winners. And, and each race shows um, the winner who owned it, who the jockey was, who the trainer was. Uh, who the breeder was, um, the length of the race, the time of the race, um, how many s minutes and seconds how it did was, you get these? who was first, who was first place, who was second place, who was third place, and all the way down to tenth place. Usually, these are handed to the owner or the trainer, or you know. But well, so the, they keep, the breeders' they keep classic has has the files mm -hmm. of all these, so um, a lot of it was scanning. Um, and it's funny. That's the name of the horse. Yeah, it, help, help a brother. brother. <laughs> and it's funny too that you see the people in 1987, and then you see them in 2022, and you notice that their 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 fashions are different. Right. <laughs> okay. As the years went by, and you see the same people winning every year, and and so so um, 
So one of the people that's in all of the pictures is Ronnie Marcus from uh, Charlestown. Mm-hmm. He used to be my boss, and so I give him a hard time. I says, "Boy, you're in every picture in, in every year, right there in the winter circle." <laughs> yeah. well, I yeah. just love back in uh, in 2018, you had late night powwow that won, and all one word, running to love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. R u n n i n t o l u v y a running to love you. So it had to be pretty fun going through all the history and. Well, it was also book. interesting because every time I typed those in, it, I would get the red underline on my right. word. Because, you were spelling this because wrong because I was spelling it wrong, and a lot of them spelled it differently than you normally spell those words. Like running isn't r u n n i n g. It's r u n n i n. And that's so it can be unique, so there right, aren't two right, of the right, same right. anywhere. Right, so there aren't two of the same. That's exactly. a whole skill set Parisian diva won back in 2019, Marsha. Bound to be bad. Bound to be Previous bad. page. Yeah. So how many years did you research this book? It took me a little over a year. Um, fortunately, they had a lot of the information. There was some that was missing. I had to go uh, through the archives of the Martinsburg Journal Um for some of the races, because they had followed, um, they have a little, like in baseball, they used to put the box scores in the paper. Well, they have the box score. Oh, I yeah. would call it the box score of the race. And, it, recap. Gives, and it gives, um, you know, who the winner was and who was second, who was all the way, you know, down to number Ooh. 10. So, again, before we finish yeah. talking about this book, because I know we want to talk about another one. How can folks avail themselves of the history of the West Virginia Breeders Classic, Classics, excuse me, 1987 to present by Bob O'Connor? Well, they can come out tonight at Charlestown Races in Charlestown, West Virginia. I'll be there from five till we run out of books, and I'll be signing the books there it's 430 pages it's full color inside it's got a lot of information uh, on how the racetrack was in trouble and how they went to to um, get get more funding from the um from the slots and um you know who's instrumental in starting it all of the people that were involved and all the people along the way that have really been instrumental in keeping this a dream of Sam Huff's going. So um, it's really an interesting book. I enjoyed uh, putting it together, and, and I'm sure there'll be some interest tonight. And then it'll be available at the West Virginia Breeders Classic, which comes up in October, um, and it'll be available at other places uh, <laughs> from here on out. But this is the too. premiere. This is right? the pre- premiere event, yeah. And again, we're speaking with local author and historian Bob O'Connor. You brought another book in here that really interests me because I am a fan of listening to a theory, a counter theory, conspiracy theory, however you want to call it every (laughs) once in a while. And there are certainly... Conspiracy? Well, conspiracy, that's a bad word to some people. So, whichever way you want to take it. But uh, this guy certainly has a lot of those theories revolving around him, and uh, especially the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, which your book, The Trial of Lee Harvey Lee Harvey Oswald is in my hand here. So how you go from West Virginia Breeders Classics with horse well, racing I've, to Lee Harvey Oswald? I have a series called the Trial Series, uh, which are trials of people that never went to trial. They're mostly Civil War. Trial of John Wilkes Booth, trial of Jefferson Davis, trial of Nathan Bedford Forth, the trial of Colonel Dixon Miles. And then I decided to go crazy <laughs> and do the the biggie 
the biggie of all biggies, Charles Lee Harvey Oswald. You want to bring that kind of energy on yourself? I'm here for it. Oh yeah. Well, it it's it's uh, something that I lived through. I know exactly. I can put a rock on the spot where I learned about the shooting. I was a freshman at Northern Illinois University, DeKalb, Illinois. I was going to my class, my one o'clock class, and I got almost to the classroom, and all these people were standing around crying and carrying on, and I'm like, what's going on? And they told me. And I, you know, school was closed. Everybody went home, watched on their black and white television for hours and hours and hours. This was our 9-11 for those who aren't old enough to uh, have been there in 1963. I doubt if anybody in this room besides me was there. Um, Definitely wasn't me, Bob, I'll say that. I've had a birthday, but I'm not quite that old. (laughs) So, um, and and then uh, as I was researching, I was astounded by some of the things that I found. For instance, the company that mailed the gun to the post office box, which was owned by Lee Harvey Oswald, was 36 inches long. They testified to that in the Warren Commission hearings and the gun that the Dallas police found in the Texas book depository was 40 inches long. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Did they fertilize the gun in the interim and it grew? Oh, there's so many things. There's a lady that got hit with uh, you know, shrapnel, but she wasn't anywhere close to the. I mean, I have watched way more than I'd like to admit hours on this kind of we don't give we don't want to give away what this work of historical fiction reveals about uh Lee Harvey Oswald but uh how can this is a brand new book right right Uh, let, let me let me throw up one other thing that most people don't know the day before November 22nd 18 1963, I'm sorry. 1963, the day before, a man brought two high-powered rifles into the Texas Book Depository, and nobody investigated Hmm. those two rifles. And there was a film shot by a man who was standing facing the Book Depository, which... The Warren Commission said showed nothing. The FBI recently took that film and said it showed two men in two different windows. One who is African American. Oh, and you said this just what? recent they just recently said they this. They just recently said this. And have they released the they have not released the film, right? There were twelve or thirteen other films besides the Zambruda <sighs> film that the Warren Commission never looked at. Hmm. Well, Bob, unfortunately, I got to I got to cut you off oh, because we got to get to this last break. I know we're uh-huh. just getting into it, but uh let people know where they can go to find out all your books, especially West Virginia Breeders Classic, which again you can pick up uh from Bob himself today and The Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. www.boboconnorbooks.com. Perfect. Well, More questions than answered. That's right. that's right. Bob, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We could have sat here and talked to you for hours, <laughs> but unfortunately, we got to get to this final break. We'll be back to wrap things up on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nice Warner and Marsha Kavalik. 
Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me is Marsha Kavalik. Missed any show so far today. You can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But Marsha, we just got, uh, well, about two and a half minutes until we get off the air for the day. Anything else you want to talk about? Or Sure. So I want to direct everyone's attention to PanhandleNewsNetwork.com and a little hack for you. Because if you just go to the Splash page and you just look to the local news there, it's being dwarfed right now by high school previews. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to get other stories that are not sports related, also... Um, well, I thought go. you were closing us out with all your uh, new stuff. I was I trying did. to find it's it. It's been it, busy. We have been busy over on PanhandleNewsNetwork.com. So there's like a little drop-down menu for news, and you go, you can click Eastern Panhandle News, and you get a lot more um, choices as, as far as which stories you also want to uh, read. So also uh, one of the things that um, that I'm I think people might find more, uh, interesting is uh, Al Gage yep. covered the meeting yesterday, the Berkeley County Commission. And had a little blurb from uh, Anthony Delaghetti talking about a memorandum of understanding for MS4, which is uh, the uh, the wastewater, the municipal separate storm sewer system. Uh, the EPA or the DEP uh, compels the county to do certain things to mitigate stormwater effects. And so you can read some of the drawdown and hear his comments in that story. Absolutely. Head over to PainHandleNewsNetwork.com for that. And like Marcia said, we got a ton of high school football previews up there. All I mean, six EPAC teams. Yep, all six EPAC teams are represented with their own preview. Uh, and Berkeley Springs up there as well. So uh, if you want to get ready for your football Friday across the state of West Virginia, head over to PanhandleNewsNetwork.com for that. I'm not complaining. I'm just I because I thought where do where can folks find the rest of the stories? So that's the hack. Go to Eastern Panhandle News. Um, under panhandlenewsnetwork.com. Right. And like I said, if you missed any show today, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But real quick, Marsha, anything fun this weekend going on? Yeah. What do you got? Uh, um, Canal, show? Day, Canal Days and the Air Show. That's right. So keep an eye in the sky around the uh, Panhandle this weekend. Might see something cool, but that does it for me and Marsha. If you missed any show, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.